and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 85. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hey there. Today we'll be discussing the 19th episode of season 4, We're So Screwed, part 1, Fetal Attraction. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of We're So Screwed Part 1. With Sokozu going on ahead as a scout, John, Chiana, Rigel, and Scorpius play scare and spies with Dargo and Naranti waiting in the wings. When they discover Aaron is on a freighter that will leave a, a space station in half an arm, Rigel and Naranti end up infecting the whole station with a Hynerian plague to get the station on lockdown. The extra time buys them enough time to rescue Aaron, leaving behind Scorpius, who has extensive wormhole knowledge. All right, everyone, we're in the first of the final four episodes of season four, and our crew is headed into Scarin territory and the space station where they have to get identification and basically transit permits to fly in Scarin space is their first stop, which just so happens to coincide with the freighter stopping for the same reasons. And they have to uh, stay for five solar days in quarantine to make sure they're not bringing in any plagues. And of course, what do they do? They start a plague. It's great. So this app has a lot going on. It's very action heavy. And everyone on the crew has a role to play, which is one of the most fun things about this episode, I think. Yeah, this episode is a lot of fun. I think it was interesting that they decided not to go with the Casablanca motif. You know, they went instead with kind of this very bureaucratic station. Like, this is just a waypoint and everybody has to pass through. Mm-hmm. My thing with waypoints in space, though, is I'm like, space is really big. Like, how <laughs> do they patrol it? Do you know what I mean? Like, we have enough problems patrolling. Like, the if you go to the U.S.-Canadian border... There are so many places where you can just walk across the border and there's nobody there because it's just this, you know, wilderness, like, wilderness. <laughs> and so I'm kind of like, how do they patrol all that space? Not only that, but space is three dimensional. And that's something that gets forgotten a lot. And it's not like, you know, land where you have to go and, you know, you have cardinal directions and everything. But you could also be like, oh, down is going to be to the west or you're to the left or right. And so you could be like, I'm just going to fly underneath this nebula into your space. <laughs> but I think that's where those those transmitters come in, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, they're going to have scaring patrols kind of randomly going around. And if you're going to a commerce center or you're going to anywhere populated you're going to be coming close enough into contact with either scaring uh, defense satellites or scaring ships that if you don't have this identification beacon transmitting that you've been basically cleared through customs, they're going to shoot you down, no questions asked. Mm -hmm. They're not even going to talk to you. They're just going to go, bam. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why you have these border stations is as much to get that transmitter because that's, you know, it's kind of a lost point kind of at the end. But I think that's really where where that point comes in and that's how they control their space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. And um I'll be honest, the more I learn about Scarens, the more I'm kind of like, I think they're just a little better organized than peacekeepers are. <laughs> or maybe the peacekeepers are dealing with a lot more worlds with a more diversity. Yeah. And they're less uh, less uh, totalitarian. I mean, they're pretty totalitarian, but they have like the Luxons as allies and they actually have to deal with some politics and they have them dealing with the Sebation colonies, the breakaway colonies. 
<laughs> so anyway, so what happens, I'm going to kind of summarize the beginning of this episode because this is one of those really nice first part of part three parts episodes. And I've kind of noticed that the, the way those flow is the first episode is really actiony. The second episode, we get a little deeper. The third episode is a great conclusion. And so this episode is just really actiony. So it starts with Moya, which only has Scorpius, John, Rigel, and Chiana on board and pilot, obviously. And they're pretending that Scorpius is a Scarin captain and he is bringing essentially a ship full of spies back into Scarin space. Mm-hmm. And there's a great little moment where John's a little nervous about being a peacekeeper going into Scarin territory mm-hmm. because obviously deadly enemies. Mm-hmm. And so, so the, the, so the Kalish administrator explains what's what they have to, you know, stay uh, answer all their questions, stay in quarantine for five days so that everything can be sorted out. And Sokozu is already on the station and she's made friends with with one of the people who runs the station. He's like a higher level administrator in the command center, basically has like all the station information. And so she's, of course, cozied up to him. And the others just go to eat, to get some food on the station and get off the ship for a little while. Mm-hmm. And so they're in the common area. This is where we find out that Aaron is actually on a freighter at the station. That's the information that Sukozu has gotten from this from this administrator that she's befriended. Mm-hmm. And so like we know that in the first like 5 minutes of the episode. So that really sets up what's going on here. The catch is the freighter is going to leave in half an hour because they have gotten there and already done their quarantine and they are about to leave. And that's where we start out. Mhm. So Naranti and Dargo are waiting in the wings. Sokozu is kind of a spy ahead. She's not with them. But at the same time, nobody is really looking at her too strangely for talking to them. And so what ends up happening is they need to make a diversion. And Rigel actually really comes up to bat here. He He's pretty awesome. He starts saying, I need more food. And John kind of gives him a weird look and he's like, I mean, you've been eating a lot, aren't you? Like, you're you're fine. And, and Rigel's like, no, 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 I have an idea. And so Rigel ends up eating so much that he's able to vomit. And so he vomits a lot. And then he kind of says something along the lines of like, oh, well, I used to have this plague. <laughs> Called Dermophilica, Hydrian yeah. Dermophilica, which is highly contagious. Yep. And so because he just vomited all over everything, the the head administrator, puts the entire station into lockdown and i really love rigel here because he's the one who comes up with the idea he's like okay we got to save Aaron. i'm going to give us some time to save Aaron." and he doesn't even tell them immediately what's going on we don't really figure it out until he decides to vomit everywhere but i also just love that chiana and john who are with him you mm-hmm. know they just go with it they're like, okay, Rigel's, Rigel's got this part. We're just going to let it roll. I mean, I'm sure John was thinking of half a dozen other things at the same time, but, you know, they trust Rigel enough to do it. And that's just so beautiful. Yeah. And you actually see in the background as John is talking to Sokozu a little bit more and kind of he's he's kind of trying to figure out what to do. Chiana's like actually feeding Rigel, you know, so yeah. it's not just that they're going along with it, but that, you know, they're like, okay, yeah, you know, it's been four years. You've kind of proved yourself, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And at this point, also, just before Rigel does his vomit thing, um, Scorpius uh, makes contact with Captain Jenik of the freighter. 
And he goes up to him, and it's this little weird little thing where he's like, "Ah, oh, I need to talk with you." And then he just basically says like the the codes that say, "I'm a spy." And I I feel like this is just kind of like a courtesy thing, like one captain's getting the other say like, "Don't get in my way. I'm important. You're important." It's a little little mm-hmm. dominance establishing thing going on because I mean, Scorpius is posing as captain, but he's still clearly a half breed Scaran, half mm-hmm. half uh, Sebastian. Yeah, I think it was definitely like a dominance thing. And I think it was also just to get his attention. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like Scorpius had maybe another plan for how to keep the freighter on the station or maybe how to get some of their people on the freighter. You know, I feel like Scorpius was going to run a different con. And this was just kind of like the opening salvo of that, of kind of him introducing himself to Jenik and being like, so by the way, I'm higher up than you are. <laughs> Yeah, you know, because he's pretending to be from the Ministry of Dissemination or dis- dissemination intelligence, something like that. But spies, yeah, dissembly or no, dissem- <laughs> uh, I'm losing the word. Anyway, he's pretending <laughs> to be a spy. He's pretending yeah. to be a spy, and the other guy's like, "Well, I don't care about spies." But you can also tell that that means that Scorpius is higher up than he is. Yeah. So the station manager is looking for all the information they can get on this plague that Rigel is pretending to have. He also sends out an all call for anybody in the area that has medical expertise. And actually the all call is sent out by the guy that uh, Sokozu has cozied up to. And it was her suggestion that he do it. He did it without orders. But then the station administrator was like, oh, well, maybe that was a good idea after all. But it was definitely Sokozu planting that seed in there. And Jenik is in the office, too, at that point, because he's upset because he was just about to leave and he wants to get Aaron out of there and go mm-hmm. on to Katrazzi. And so he's just like, fix this now. Mm-hmm. And uh, snacking on whatever is in the snacky snacky bin on the table. I like that little touch. Yeah, they keep like they keep eating <laughs> essentially the M&Ms that are on this administrator's desk throughout the whole episode. It's really funny. Yeah. So now we have Dargo and Naranti on the station as well. And Naranti shows up just as the station manager has gotten information that, hey, the Hynerian plague has a very strict timeline. And if Rigel, Rigel isn't already slowing off skin, so that means that he probably doesn't have it. He probably just has food poisoning or something. And so the station manager is ready to lift the lockdown. And then Naranti is like, okay, well, let's give it an arm, though, because, you know, this is a really tricky disease and you want to be really careful. And then she goes in and talks to Rigel. And she says, are you absolutely positive this is the disease that you had? And he was like, yeah, it killed four of my wives and I almost died. And so, and I, I, to be honest, thought he was faking the disease altogether. But I was like, oh, you know, I guess he was going off real experience. And so (laughs) she gives him something like a spit, like, you know, her usual mix of like a spit you know, thing that she's chewed, whatever. And he doesn't want to eat it. She forces it down. And then he starts slowing off skin. And at first, Chiana and John are really excited. And then I want to play the quote of what happens when they figure out what she actually did. That was a nice job, Granny. You scammed him. I couldn't scam Fraser, but you did. He believes Rigel's sick. That's because I made Rigel sick. No, you made him look sick. No, I made him sick. With what? Dermafolica. The virus is dormant in his system. I merely reactivated it. Can you deactivate it? I hope so. What if you can't? He dies. Are you tanked? What are you trying to do? What, kill Rigel? No, he won't die. I can make a cure. 
You sure about that? I'm almost certain. How long has Rigel gone? Plenty of time, if I'm not disturbed. Is this bug contagious? Some varieties can be. Uh, what about this variety? I'll fix it. You've already fixed it. You've, you've infected us with the frolling Ionian plague. Not infected, exposed. Anyway, you can't get it. I can't. Nabari are immune as Ascarans. And Sebations? Are Sebations immune? No. You'll kill Aaron even before we get a chance to save her. Don't you say that. Don't you dare say that. I will fix this. If you wanted a plague, I gave you one. Without real symptoms, the lockdown is lifted, Erin is on her way to this Karen base, and you are frilled. Now, I did what I had to do. I suggest you do the same. I really like the look of Atnarati that we get with this little, little clip. Like, mm -hmm. where she is... She has given Rigel this deadly disease, and she's like, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. And she says it in this such confident tone of, of there's no question, no doubt that she is going to fix this problem, and it's not going to be a problem anymore. And you can tell under it all through her body language, through her motion and everything, that she's like not quite sure that she can do this. You know, it's that false confidence that's going forward. And when, when Chiana says, you've killed Aaron before we've even got her, you know, she's like, don't you dare say that. And you can really see that that's what she fears. That is so much what she fears she has done by taking this risk. But it's one that she did have to take. And I do agree with her. Like, you know, that guy, the Kalish administrator in charge of the station, he was going to lift it, lift the quarantine. And this was the only play that they had. Mm -hmm. I mean, and more than that, since Scarens can't get it, he would have definitely lifted it if if Rigel hadn't shown symptoms just because, you know, the Scarin, as the Scarin Captain Jenick pointed out, you know, like, hey, well, we can't get it. It doesn't matter if we bring this into Scarin space. Like, who cares? Mm -hmm. But the Kalish was worried about spreading it to other Kalish in, mm -hmm. in Scarin space because they are everywhere. They are basically a symbiotic, not symbiotic, but they they are, was it uh, called? Conquered species. That's how, mm -hmm. how Scorpius characterizes them but they are completely dependent on the scarens they work with them they live with them and he doesn't want to be responsible for spreading that the disease to to others mm -hmm. which is legit i mean that's the scary thing about disease storylines and one reason i actually have a hard time reading books that are like the plot is a disease storyline like the fourth uh her majesty's dragon his majesty's dragon book that one it took me like months to gather up my courage to read because diseases are those terrifying things you don't know where or who they're going to strike next mm -hmm. you know yeah and actually this brought up a question for me about john mm -hmm. where a big reason that Europeans were able to so easily conquer the americas was because of disease because mm -hmm. they had a res they had resistance to diseases that exist when you have huge congregations of people uh, like smallpox and the natives in north and south america didn't have those immunities and so my question is kind of like how come john isn't dead from space diseases <laughs> that is a very very good question i have a very very succinct answer for you plot yes. 
<laughs> he has plot armor. He has plot immunity. He has been vaccinated by plot. I could keep going, but that's basically why. So here's my other theory. I think for the common things, I feel like the vaccinations would have been like, I don't know, part of like an injection, like the the translator microbes mm-hmm. or something like that. But, you know, if you have widespread vaccination amongst like the peacekeepers and peacekeeper space, then mm-hmm. you have basically herd immunity protecting him. That's not to say he couldn't have gotten something from all the other places that they visited. But, you know, also, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> plot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, space travel loses a lot of its excitement. If every single planet people go to, they always have to wear hazmat suits. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then you can't see their faces. I mean, the other thing you have to remember about John is he survived vacuum and he's, you know, survived all these other impossible and probable things. So I think this is one of those Farscape science things that we just kind of have to hand wave. Yeah. Even though it's convenient for the plot here that... You know, as he says, Sebations can get it, which implies that because he's looks like a Sebation, he potentially could get it. You know, he's compatible enough to have a baby with a Sebation. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Now they have time, but they don't necessarily have a plan. So John comes up with a plan because he needs to know Aaron's condition. Because Sokozu knows she's on the freighter, but Sokozu doesn't know her condition. And John is like a pile of anxiety right now like he's hiding it but he's still like he's got this frenetic energy going on and i love the little conversation he has with scorpius before he goes off and scorpius is like jedek's never going to let us on his ship you know because he didn't want to give any medical supplies to noranti when they asked for that and that's actually why noranti's back on on moya is because captain was it one tricks i don't know scorpius is alias so generously offered to give her space because she's the the healer who came as a third party um with Dargo to give her their medical supplies to try and kind of come up with a cure for, for Rigel and anyone else who gets infected. And I want to point out a really funny side moment, which was that when she first came on board, the <laughs> station manager kind of was like, that's weird that you have uh, Luxon as your aide. Cause you know, and Dargo's playing along. He calls her healer. Very like, mm-hmm. you know, very like she's the authority. And <laughs> It's so funny because then she like lists all the reasons that Luxon's are good aides. She's like, well, he's good security. He's like, he's a good a str- pilot. He's a good pilot. He's strong. You know, he can help me with the things with strength. And she's like, and he's also a very good lover. And the pi- <laughs> and the station manager's face is like this mix of like horror and like disgust. It's so funny. <laughs> So back to Scorpius. Scorpius is like, Jenik will never uh, let you on his ship. And John is like, well, Jenik isn't the only one with access. You're thinking too big. And then he goes and solicits the nurse who is on the station as well. And I want to play that conversation. Hey. Sebation. What? You're Sebation, right? Huh. Can't remember the last time I saw a Sebastian woman. It's got to be at least half a cycle. So? So that's a long time without companionship. I don't do aliens. Well, I don't do peacekeepers, so why waste your time? What's that? This is something for a special friend. It's the sebation cure of Hynarian Dermophonic. Or a vial of dust. You're a medical worker, right? 
I could let you analyze it. And as you say, why waste your time? Where did you get that? Sorry, I don't kiss and tell. But you can be sure you're not getting it anywhere else. Hynerian dermatholica rarely infects sebaceans. But when it does, you're dead before you know it. I hate odds like that. Don't you? So, what do you want for it? I just want to share. I love seeing John, I don't know, role play, but playing the horny sebation who just wants to screw another sebation and saying like, aliens, I don't do aliens. And she's like, I don't do peacekeepers. I don't know. The whole exchange just, I really, I really like it because it's, it's very transactional. It's, he's got something else to entice her with it, with just this cure. And she, even though she's probably pretty sure that he's scamming her because she's like, doesn't believe him right off the bat. At the same time, she can't take the risk that it is the cure and she's passing up this opportunity to get it. And I think that's the survivalist in her, you know, because mm -hmm. she's, we heard, talked about last episode, she collaborates with the Scarens because she's a survivor and she will do anything to stay alive. And that includes keeping herself alive. And in this case, she also wants to keep Aaron alive because she does take him aboard the freighter. And he says, you know, it's only two doses. And she says, really, that's it? Because I have another sebation to keep alive. And so I don't know. It's just, I, I really like, like that interaction between the two of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I like that John is playing off what he knows with the with the peacekeepers, which is that they're incredibly xenophobic. So, like, mm -hmm. you know, it is in character that a peacekeeper would be like, "I don't really want to have sex with aliens," and you know, "Hey, you're at least my species," you know. Yeah. So John does get on to the freighter. Uh, walks right past the Charid guards. And so part of, you know, John wanting to be there, he wants to find out where Aaron is. He wants to find out how she's guarded and all that intel. Basically, he's doing a casing of the freighter to figure out how they can rescue her. And of course, once he sees Aaron, she's been drugged. We had a scene earlier in the episode where the nurse is drugging her and then also Aaron is hallucinating seeing John. Um, she can't talk because of the drugs, but she's like reaching for nothing because... Um, he's not really there earlier on, but now he's here and nearly the first thing he does once he sees her is he knocks out the nurse and knocks her unconscious mm -hmm. and then tries to get Aaron out, which is legit. I mean, like take the opportunities when they open themselves up to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I go back and forth on that because I think on one hand, it's incredibly impulsive of him. You know what I mean? Like he mm -hmm. doesn't have an exit strategy here. This it's is true. Not like the, <laughs> it's not like the guards are just going to let him off with what's clearly, you know, one of the passengers of the ship. At the same time, I completely understand the urge because mm -hmm. we talked a few episodes ago about how so much of the crew's survival at this point has depended on right place or has depended on them being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And so here it is, right place, right time. He's got Aaron. There's no guards around, really. And so this is the right place, right time. And unfortunately, yeah. because this occurs about 20 minutes into the episode. <laughs> you know it's not going to work out. Yeah, it doesn't plan work out. Plan goes sideways. Well, there's not really much of a plan anyway. Aaron is only semi-conscious. She doesn't believe he's really there because she has been hallucinating him. And then Roland the Chariot. I love that his name is Roland. We find that out later, but it just oh, it makes my heart really happy that his name is Roland. And 
basically catches John and expels him from the ship. And then John gets interrogated by Jenik. And the nurse has been recovered at that point, too. So she's there, too. So John gets the heat probe, the you know, the Scarin heat probe thing. And he's like, what were you doing on the ship? And and everything and so he's like well i was horny and it kind of goes goes through the questions and he's like well what are you gonna do with our prisoner prisoner and she was sexier than the other sebation which is why he was gonna go screw her mm-hmm. instead so you know <laughs> the best part though is when scorpius comes up after the interrogation happens and he's promised to deal with john because john is his peacekeeper and he's like how did you resist that how did you lie and was it katoya's training and john's like nope <laughs> I was just telling a variation of the truth. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love that one of his lines is they're like, well, what would you have done with her when you got her? And he's like, had lots of sex and made babies. <laughs> was one of his responses. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's the truth. That's, that's the truth. John's fantasy. You know, 2.5 children and a picket fence on Moya, you know. <laughs> and so now they know that Aaron isn't really that strongly guarded, but they do know that the the, the Scarin freighter is super guarded, so mm-hmm. they need to come up with a plan. And this is when we see Sokozu again kind of not quite gelling with the team. Because mm-hmm. if you've got even Rigel kind of being like, okay, let's play along, let's do this, you do kind of have to just roll with it. The Scarin freighter is not only docked to the station, but it is tied to its power grid as well. Station control, I can force a power surge that will disrupt the circuits of both the station and the freighter. That'll knock out the lights, the alarms, and those ugly scarring DRDs. For how long? Only until emergency overrides activate, maybe 30 microns. Okay. Once we rescue Aaron, we've got to get Moyer off that station. Yes, I think I've worked out how to bypass the docking locks. You think? What are we doing with Karama this time? What about the window stickers this joint's supposed to give out? Security beacons. We'll need some. If we rescue Aaron... Don't say if. I'm sorry, yes. When we rescue Aaron, we simply starburst away from Scarron space. What if we starburst deeper into Scarron space? Or if the freighter takes off with Aaron? If the freighter escapes, then we abandon all hope. We abandon all hope of leading long and prosperous lives, and we follow the freighter. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of little things in there that I really like. You know, I like that before we hit the Sokozu stuff that they're already thinking of the backup plan. Like they got to get away with Aaron and they're worried about what if they go into Scarin space, then they'll need those beacons. You know, what if the freighter escapes with with Aaron before we can get her and then they follow and in Sokozu, that's what really Sokozu doesn't quite get that this is all or nothing for the crew. And I love that it's Chiana who corrects her and says, what do you mean, if? Chiana and Dargo, we know that they have strong relationships with Aaron, but we don't always see them on screen the same way we see her relationship with John. And it's just really nice to have these little reminders that they too are all in for saving Aaron. Mm-hmm. And when she corrects herself, she's like, you're right. Not if, when. Even though if is like a kind of appropriate phrasing here as like, you know, well, if we rescue Aaron, then this you know Mm -hmm. but at the same time you can tell she's just trying she thinks that it's just a phrasing she thinks that it's just like her grammar that they're having issues with when the reality is that they actually have issues with her attitude that you know they've had to live these situations so many times before that to them you need like an eight-part plan you know Mm -hmm. even if it's just a vague like okay well what are we gonna do if this happens you know yeah 
And it's also, I think, a frame of mind, as you say, of like, we have to believe it wholeheartedly because mm -hmm. anything else, we can't take it. Like, it's a faith thing, I think. Sokozu has always been the intellectual, right? She's always been the one to point out the obvious and how dangerous and stupid and everything that their plans are. And yes, they still more or less work out in the way that the crew wants because um, plot armor. But at the same time, you know, she hasn't internalized that we are together as a crew and we are going to do everything we can for each other always until there is no hope left. And that's, it's that idea of hope, right? And that mm -hmm. faith that they have in themselves to save Aaron and to get away with her, even though they are planning for contingencies. But that's the attitude difference that she has from them. She's not quite there in that faith yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So now they kind of have a plan. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, this is when things really start going sideways because this guy that Chiana had been flirting with on board the station who mm -hmm. actually I want to point out, she and Dargo had this like little moment where Dargo was watching her flirt with this guy. And clearly it was a very Chiana thing to do of like, hey, I'm going to flirt with this guy who also has a big ship because maybe we might need to use his big ship at some point. <laughs> so uh, and then Dargo kind of shoes away the guy and he comes over and he just like they lean foreheads together and mm -hmm. and, you know, they kind of are like, oh, this is better. This is better. So it's kind of them really being emotionally intimate and really close for the first time since they broke up to like a season and a half ago. Yeah. And they have this really nice moment. And then around this time what they're when they're doing the planning, when they're back on the station, I think it might be a little bit before the planning conversation. Doesn't really matter. The the Kalish traveler actually comes down with the dermophilica and is sloughing out skin sloughing off his skin and he's really sick and everyone's like because it's super contagious everyone on the station is or in the common area is pulling back and Chiana's the only one who goes up to him one because she is that empathic person who wants to take care of people even strangers but she has had this little bit of connection with him and she's immune so she can come up to him mm -hmm. panic is starting to set in on the station and captain jenick is like i got this really valuable peacekeeper or uh, prisoner that i have to keep alive and the healer who is over there on scorpius's ship needs to be on my ship he demands uh, noranti's presence on his ship and basically forces her to come over through the use of his Roland the Cherid, who is still my favorite name. He basically goes and grabs Naranti, takes her over to the ship, takes her over to the freighter. Yeah. And then when we they get there, they discover that the nurse is dead. And that's mm -hmm. when a lot of timelines kind of start hurrying up because then he's like, okay, well, if the nurse is dead, maybe Aaron is in the process of dying and we need to save the fetus. Mm -hmm. And so they decide to do this thing that I want to talk about because it's the most nonsense thing I've ever heard. They <laughs> decide to kidnap Chiana because Chiana is immune and they're going to transplant Aaron's fetus into Chiana's body. Mm -hmm. And... Okay, so last episode, we both kind of had some issues with the fact that, like, the whole premise of this stupid fetus is that there's something called fetal, like, memories, which I'm fetal, like, DNA memories, which every time I hear, my brain wants to leak out of my ears. <laughs> that's not how memories work. And I'm like, okay, yeah. so maybe in the Farscape universe, there are some species where that works. But you think if it did work, the peacekeepers would already be like on that in terms of breeding programs. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, because if that were the case, then you would basically be breeding children that already had adult knowledge in their heads when they started out, right? Yeah. Like, if you take us to its logical conclusion, it really does not hold up very well. And this is even, like, I can hand wave and accept a lot of Farscape science. This is the one that really does go way too far for me. (laughs) But what then gets me even further than that is they're like, (laughs) we're going to transplant... The fetus from Erin, who she's already carrying like a mixed breed, you know, baby, like it's two species. So it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, they're going to transplant it into Chiana. Chiana doesn't even have the same blood color as (laughs) Erin, I want to point out. And also, I'm like, uh, what? Do you know what I mean? Like I, I had, yeah. so, I had so many issues. I, I would even buy, I would even buy like if they were like, okay, well we're going to remove the fetus from Aaron and put it in stasis or something yeah. like that. Do or in an artificial mean? womb of some sort. That's like a machine. Yeah. Because I mean, the, the fetus is in stasis. So I guess technically it doesn't need blood yet because it's like, I don't even know how the stasis thing is supposed to work, but but yeah, it's just like you could have used anything except another human being or sorry, another person to carry this thing in if it's in stasis like that. Well, OK. And my other thing is I'm like, you could use technology that we currently have on Earth. Just take it out and freeze it. That's what we currently do with like, <laughs> that's what you currently do with like a lot of fetuses when people are trying artificial insemination, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm like, Ugh. I just had so many <laughs> issues with this. I was like, no, I was so upset at this whole plot line that I couldn't even take it seriously. So I'm just going to explain what happens. So... <laughs> The Captain Jenick, who we've already talked about not being the smartest crayon in the box, he ends up insisting that this happens. The space station commander, who apparently is also a doctor because he's like the medical, he's like the medical head honcho. Mm-hmm. He he goes along with Jenick because he understands his position relative to Jenick, which is that Jenick will murder him if he doesn't do this. <laughs> so then they do this thing where like these giant like these like spikes come out and they like pierce Aaron to the table for no apparent reason. Drama. That's why. Yeah. Drama. And then so Chiana is there because they've kidnapped Chiana. They somehow got on board Moya without pilot knowing, which was puzzling to me. They, they went um, in a transport pod and got into the maintenance bay before pilot knew. I don't know how he didn't know right away, but maybe because jamming signals, you know, that I could buy a little bit more easily of like some sort of jamming or something. I would do want to make a note that Chiana puts up a hell of a resistance. Mm-hmm. She manages to kick, basically just kick like five of the chariots who are after her in like the legs and the balls and get away for enough time. And it's only like when she's overwhelmed by numbers and, and the last guy grabs her by the hair that she gets captured. So she does put up a really nice fight. Yeah. Chiana has like one of the more actiony scenes this episode. So then now they have both women and they're going to cut into them at exactly the same time so that they can do this transplant as quickly as possible. Noranti is there too. And she is also putting up basically your same objections here of like, this is a dumb idea. Let's not do it. I mean, not quite for the same science reasons, but she <laughs> obviously wants to save Aaron and doesn't want to remove the fetus. So she's kind of running a stall, I want to say. Like, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of this episode like completely in terms of leverage, by the way. But she's like trying to talk the other doctor out of it, the Kalish administrator doctor out of it. And she's like, Aaron is too weak for this to work. And we don't even know if it's going to work and all this other stuff. 
And meanwhile, the rest of the crew, John and Dargo and Sokozu, have to accelerate their plan to get the lights out. So Sokozu goes into the command center to, and she checks to make sure that her, the guy that she's kind of been hanging out with and his job it is to monitor these systems is not there. She goes in, but then he comes in before she can knock out the lights. And he's like, ah, I knew you were up to something terrible and has a gun pointed at her. And she tries to talk him out of it, of course, but she's been stealing schematics and he knows and he's not dumb. Fortunately, Dargo follows up with her and tongues him. So he's get gets knocked out. They get the lights out. And John is the one with a gun waiting on Moya because guns are not allowed on the space station. They will be the Scarin DRD things. The security drones will immediately shoot anybody who they detect has a weapon. Mm-hmm. So this will knock out that system. John runs in guns blazing in the dark with a big giant flashlight. And he basically gets the freighter, shoots the Charids, and then it's the the Kalish doctor who's there at the end. And I want to play this because there's some interesting comments that John makes while he's rescuing everybody. Stop! I'll kill her! I'll cut her throat! He wouldn't dare! If the baby dies, Jenik will burn him dead, so shoot! I'll do it. I'll kill her. Kalish, you're supposed to be smart. Who do you think I believe? All right. Shoot me. You should have killed him. My body count's already too high. So he he shot the Kalish in the shoulder, knocked him out, put him in pain, basically got him out of the picture. And I think there's two interesting comments here. You have, first of all, Norianti, who says you should have killed him. And she is one of these characters who has often been the one who has seen great devastation and danger and and the great horrors of war and all these sorts of things. And she's not the first person you think who would advocate strictly killing somebody. But at the same time, she's this character who, you know, she gave Rigel the plague, even though she's very nervous about carrying him. You know, she's she's willing to go to those lengths. And it's just, I don't know, an interesting comment given the context of Noranti's story in this episode. Mm-hmm. And then you have John who says, my body count is already too high. Here is Aaron right in front of him and he's, and he's rescuing her. He's She's been missing. And I just think it's interesting that we've talked about his transformation a lot from the innocent scientist to the end of season one where he's dressed as a peacekeeper, acts like a peacekeeper, PTSD, the whole works. He's essentially a, a fighter now in this universe. He's known for blowing stuff up and killing people and has killed a lot of people. And yet the most important person to him is right there. And he still has enough compassion in him to not kill the person th- currently threatening her life. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just really like that that little note about John there that he recognizes all the death in his wake. And he always has. But just given Aaron's condition, like he doesn't hesitate to shoot him, but he does hesitate to kill the Kalish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that this season, John is really struggling with the effects of his actions. Do you know what I mean? Like not just in terms of his actions towards Aaron, but I think that's also something we saw him really struggling with in Constellation of Doubt, but also just that his actions have consequences. And this was also dealt with a lot last season with Talon John. Mm-hmm. But I think that this season is really about him learning 
what his actions do. And we saw that with the wormhole episodes with um, unrealized realities. His actions have the con- have the potential to have really bad consequences whenever he opens a wormhole. So I, I don't know. I think it makes sense to me that that in this episode, he's he's explicitly calling out that not only does he feel like he's become a killer when he doesn't want to be, but he also realizes that even his small actions, the difference between wounding this guy and killing him, mm-hmm. have massive consequences. Yeah. You know, maybe good, maybe bad. Maybe he should have killed this guy, but maybe, you know, he doesn't have to. Yeah. I really like that you brought up the Unrealized Reality episode where he you know, goes from not really worrying about it to being afraid of his capacity for damaging the universe. Because in last episode, in prayer, we had him and Scorpius going to the Bizarro Moya and, you know, murdering two people. I mean, yes, they were going to die anyway, but there was cold-blooded murder before that. Three, because they killed Jewel Dargo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even though he's like, oh, they're going to die anyway, you know, he still had to confront killing people he loved in the bizarro moya world and i think Mm -hmm. maybe that contributes to i don't know this feeling of i want to not be the killer that i have become yeah so now they have Eren. they rush back on board moya sokozu loosens all the ships and then she does this thing that's really suspicious and dargo kind of calls her out on how suspicious it is but they're all in a rush which is that she uses something that seems very similar to the scarin heat probe on some of the tech she kind of melts it almost mm-hmm. and then they're all back on moya she is saying hey what about scorpius what about scorpius because for some reason scorpius had gone to captain jarek at this point to try and i guess distract him from what was going he was, on he he went because he was protesting shiana's nabbing mm. So it's after Chiana had been kidnapped by and taken into the freighter and when Scorpius wanted to go talk to him. And he actually has this really direct conversation. And, and, Je- and Jenna goes, I think, because he knows he has to play politics. He is taking one of Scorpius's spies. That's the context that Jenick knows, right? Mm-hmm. And so he says to Jenick, he says very directly, you know, you can't take my spies. And also, I know that you have Aaron Sun aboard your freighter. And if my mission fails, your mission fails. And so he's trying to coerce um, and scare Jenik into not only giving him Chiana back, but emphasizing that you cannot screw up and take my people because everything you want to accomplish with Aaron and her, her fetal DNA and whatever depends on my mission succeeding. Mm-hmm. And so he's trying to stall. He's trying to push Jenik into letting people go, trying to get him to work with them instead of kidnapping Gianna and destroying bodies and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so it is kind of a stall tactic, but it's also another power play and another gamble to try and push Jenik into manipulating Jenik into doing what he wants him to do. Yeah. Yeah. So... They leave Scorpius with Jenik, and Jenik gets real mad, and he's like, who are you? Because he realizes that Scorpius must not be actually working for the Scarens. Roland the Cherid, he dies. John shoots him. And that's when Jenik clues into uh, Scorpius not being who he says he is, because Roland doesn't come in. And they fight, and that's when he realizes that he's not who he says he is. Mm-hmm. So now Aaron's back on Moya, and she, and he, she wakes up. And her her reactions in this episode really remind me a lot of John Post a Liar's Guns and Money, you know, mm-hmm. where she's completely broken by this experience. 
But at the same time, she's Aaron soon, so she has the potential to come back. It's all right, Aaron. It's all right. It's real. It's real. You're on Moya. You're safe. this is one of those scenes that's really effective and powerful visually Mm -hmm. because this whole episode Aaron has basically been drugged she's been hallucinating she's been unable to speak and here's the first time she's gotten her words back and she is with John but she doesn't quite believe that he's there she keeps you know flinching away and then touching him and but he's there and he's reassuring her and it's just the two of them kind of I won't want to say at their most pure, but at the the core of them, right? You know, Mm -hmm. these are two people who have been really badly hurt by the universe, who have had each other, who have found each other again, and he's going to stay by her side until she's better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really works visually, I think, is a good... Yeah, it really works. And it also really feels satisfying because I was nervous going into this, especially as we were coming up on the end of the episode, that... They wouldn't get Aaron back and this would Mm -hmm. become a trilogy of, you know, the princess that needs to be saved. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And yet it doesn't. It ends with Aaron back on Moya. And like I said, she does remind me of Liars, Guns and Money, John. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it really works for me on a lot of levels, you know, because she's coming back to John. She's coming back to who she is. And again, that prioritization of the baby, you know, how's the baby? This is what she's been fighting to save for two episodes now. Yeah. And also it's a a little bit of a mirror of the end of uh, bringing home the beacon when John is asking about the baby. Mm -hmm. And here that's Aaron's basically her first question to him is how's the baby? Yeah. So we also have a moment from Neuronti that is a little bit unexpected, but it's also very satisfying given what happened this episode. And I want to play that. You don't look as bad. I'm fine. Thanks for asking. You nearly killed me. No, I didn't. (sighs) But I did kill others. By my actions, I have taken innocent lives. Welcome to Moya. In my time as Dominar, some of my actions resulted in the deaths of the undeserving. Even when the cause is just, it's a hard thing to accept. I must seek forgiveness from the Divine Eternal. I can't help you there, but I can extend my forgiveness. I just find it a really touching scene between Noranti and Rigel. So 
you know, she gave him back this deadly disease that he had beaten barely by the skin of his teeth once upon a time in his life. And in the process, she killed several Kalish probably and the nurse and other people in the station. And that weighs heavily on her. And it kind of one of the reasons I pointed out that earlier quote from her was like, should you should just kill this guy, the the administrator, instead of winging him to John, because in this scene, you really see how deeply she is affected by accidentally harming other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because, I again, like I don't think she's a character that necessarily flinches away from the reality of her own life, from the reality of, hey, I have to kill people sometimes in order to survive, or hey, sometimes mm-hmm. people need to die for, you know, to pay for their their crimes or just because they're causing too much damage or whatever. But at the same time, this moment really spoke to me because I think it's a lot different consciously killing somebody. It's a lot different if she mixes up a potion and on purpose kills them than if she creates a situation where this like deadly disease is massively killing people Mm -hmm. and and at the same time, I mean, because they've essentially just run away from the station without leaving a cure behind, the station technically still has this this plague. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And and it's the innocent bystander loss that she's really feeling here. And I I like that it's Rigel comforting her. And there's there's two things that he says here. He says, you know, welcome to Moya, where, you know, what we do is leave collateral damage in our wake. And I think that's something that John's quote was getting at earlier when he says, I have too high a body count already. I mean, we saw it after Liars, Guns, and Money when, was it Sons and Lovers in an mm-hmm. early season three episode where their reputation has preceded them as these big bad bank robbers and murderers and terrorists. And that is the reputation. That is kind of the life that they lead, just leaving destruction. And you have the command carrier in the end of season three, which they annihilated. That is something that happens with these people is that they travel through space doing the best they can, but they are also agents of destruction and chaos on a massive scale, more massive than they would like. And there's blood on their hands that they they are conscious of and aware of and and can't help in a way unless they just gave in. You know, it's just this really tough situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I like that he also offers her forgiveness and it seems to give her comfort because even though technically all these other people were exposed because of what she did, Rigel was the one that really had the potential to die. Mm -hmm. You know, Rigel was the one that was like really, really on death's door. And yet he's still able to offer her forgiveness. He's still able to say, hey, I forgive you, you know, even though you did this thing, which is it it shows a lot of Rigel character growth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially since earlier in the episode, he was cursing her. And then there was one remedy she gave him that made him pass out completely and look like he was dead. So, you know, there's a lot of trial and error in getting to a cure because she does, she is able to cure Rigel. But yeah, and then he brings up his, um, his time as a dominar again, which I don't know, it's always interesting to see these little glimpses of what his life was like before when he was ruling 600 billion people. Mm hmm. Yeah. So we have John sitting on the floor and Aaron is petting his hair and it's kind of this very comforting scene because you can tell she's comforting herself as much as she's comforting him. Mm-hmm. And then and he's he, asleep and he's asleep and he wakes up screaming. And this is what was going on in his head. Harvey, 
You're not dead. Of course not dead. I am dead. I'm dead. It's not funny. The son of a bitch said he took you out of my head. Scooby, you see, I've tried me too. I've knows everything you know. Meaning what? Another new feature. Scorpius can hear me. Well, I've been sharing the contents of your head with him. Memories, thoughts, dreams. Wormhole technology. No, you're lying. And eventually, they will torture the information out of him. And everything they ever wanted to know about wormholes will be theirs, courtesy of John Strike. Leave me alone! No. no. Hey. It's all right. You have to go back for Scorpius. Tell her, John. Tell her. You must rescue Scorpius. Tell her. Dun, dun, dun. And that's the end of the episode. Where where Harvey has been resurrected, and the scene in his head, in John's head, while this is happening, is black and white. You heard the organ death music in the background, and Scorpius is and basically in a casket, and he sits up, and he's got really long fingernails, and he's he's playing like a vampire type character resurrected from the dead. Yeah, he's definitely playing Nosferatu, like the original uh, mm-hmm. Bella Lugosi version. So, okay, I remember last episode when I had this whole thing about, like, that blood thing was really weird? Mm-hmm. I have this theory. I have this okay. theory that I don't think Harvey has been constantly transmitting John's thoughts to Scorpius. I think that initially Scorpius was just getting his information straight out of John's comms. Mm-hmm. But then I think that when John tasted his blood, I think then that did wake up Harvey or that did... You know, that was like Scorpius's way of like restarting Harvey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually had a similar thought to that because they replayed the blood licking tasting moment in the previously on Farscape. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that is significant. I like that idea. So if you can't recall, like I couldn't recall and I had to look it up. In Promises, this is episode five of season four. John confronts Scorpius in his cell at one point. And Scorpius says, I can take Harvey out of your head. And he has this little thing and he ends up getting the drop on John and, and shoving it in his head. It's kind of like this good faith, you know, m- message of like, hey, I'm going to get rid of Harvey. It shouldn't be there. And so Harvey is effectively executed in the in the hitman uh, reservoir dogs motif inside mm-hmm. John's head. And we haven't seen him since. And here he is back from the dead and saying, like, you got to go rescue Scorpius. Mm-hmm. So I really like the idea that we don't know whether or not Harvey is telling the truth, whether or not Scorpius has the information. And I think that's something we learn more about in the coming episodes. But I really like the idea that that blood thing did, was some sort of trigger. Mm-hmm. Because it does make sense to me that Scorpius would 
not trust John as far as he could throw him and kind of say, I, although, okay, I, Scorpius could probably throw John pretty far. So let's, let's <laughs> rephrase that one. Uh, that Scorpius wouldn't trust John to prioritize Scorpius's life, which he doesn't. When they realize they've left behind Scorpius, as the crew's reaction is kind of like, eh, who cares? Good riddance. Everyone yeah. except for Sokozo, who's like, why aren't we going back for Scorpius? Because as we know, she and Scorpius have a thing going on. So... I, I do like the idea that Scorpius would have a backup plan and that his backup plan is I will restart Harvey, mm-hmm. you know, and in order to yeah. get that. I, again, like, I, I don't think like as much as we saw with the screeth and like the telepathy at long distances, I'm, I'm still kind of like eh, iffy on this idea of like Harvey broadcasting John's brainwaves to Scorpius, <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. I'll, so I'll that's an it. interesting idea because was it Van Eyck freaking or something like that, where you can get a computer, you can use like the electromagnetic waves of a computer to mirror it on something on your own mm-hmm. computer. So maybe there's something like that going on too. Though it did remind me of one of the opening scenes in this episode that I completely forgot about, where Pilot and already goes ahead and addresses Scorpius before they've even arrived and opened the doors to the station. Mm-hmm. and Scorpio saying we must act as if the comms are compromised and Shiana being like but the comms are secure and John being like well we should act like they're compromised you know and then there's this look between him and Scorpius of like see I'm on to you kind of thing I don't know yeah that, it was that, really good yeah and so I don't know that's just kind of random callback but yeah yeah the episode's really good it's tight so that's this episode what would you give it I really like this one. I'd also give this one up four, four and a half, maybe even a five. I don't know. It's up there. I don't know if I liked it as much as prayer. Mm-hmm. So if I gave prayer, I, up, I think I'm going to up my rating of prayer to five officially. And maybe this one would be four and a half or something. Because yeah. it really is a very tightly plotted episode. Yeah. Like I said, this is really action heavy. Uh, it has some good character stuff. But it kind of holds off on a lot of that until the very end of the episode. So... Uh, for me, I think it's a four, four and a half. Like, it's a good, solid, mm-hmm. solid episode. I'll be curious where the rest of the trilogy goes. Yeah. And on Wardrobe Watch, John's the one that's really wearing something very, very different because he's dressed up in full Peacekeeper regalia. He's wearing Larocque's, you know, uniform again. Mm-hmm. So the Maroon Commando uniform. Rigel gets some crazy face makeup with the, the sloughing skin, which is really kind of gross. Super gross. Erin um, is still in her yellow jumpsuit mm-hmm. and... Uh, so next week we have part two, We're So Screwed, Hot to Katrazzi. So continuing the adventures of them as they go to rescue Scorpius now. Yeah, <laughs> rescue Scorpius. <laughs> we are Farscape Friday podcast at Tumblr, Dreamwith, and at gmail.com. We are Farscape Friday on Twitter. Hit us up in any of those places to talk about your favorite moments of We're So Screwed. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.